So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. This is Stu Hynek, author of How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, a complete strategy for unstoppable growth. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast. Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, where each week I publish an interview with the author of a new marketing or sales book, and which has been named as one of the top marketing podcasts by Forbes and LinkedIn, amongst others. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable on this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since I get to read every book featured on the show, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or any other resource I know of for whatever challenge you're facing, send me a LinkedIn connection invite with a message that you're a listener, and I will do my best to get you pointed in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. This episode is sponsored by by Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. I'll tell you more and how to get a free copy of the book in a few minutes. Now, let's get on with the show. Today, we welcome back Stu Hynek to talk about his book, How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, A Complete Strategy for Unstoppable Growth, published by Career Press. Stu Hynek is a best-selling author, twice-nominated Hall of Fame marketer, and Wall Street Journal cartoonist. His first book, How to Get a Meeting with Anyone, which introduced the concept of contact marketing, was named one of the top 64 sales books of all time. The American Marketing Association named him the father of contact marketing. Stu's books have enjoyed glowing coverage in Forbes, Inc., Harvard Business Review, CBS Radio, The Marketing Book Podcast. Okay, that's not really in his in his bio. I just added that. Stu is also a NASDAQ Entrepreneurial Center author in residence and mentor and founder of cartoonists.org, a group of cartoonists from the Wall Street Journal and the New Yorker who donate art to help charities raise funds. And interesting fact, he and his wife, Charlotte, live on Whidbey Island in the Pacific Northwest in Puget Sound, north of Seattle, and at the University of Southern California, go Trojans, he was a college party pal of actor LeVar Burton. Stu, congratulations on how to grow your business like a weed, and welcome back to the Marketing Book Podcast. Hey, thank you so much, man. You really did your research. That was great. Well, you know, yeah, you're kind of a big deal, you know, and you know what, Stu Hynek? And I'm not saying you need to add this to your bio, but you, with this interview, you are now a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's, you know, that's a, I've got to say, that's been an, an incredible ride. I've watched you, and wow, it's amazing. Well, thank you for having me on. Yeah. So when you're not at Whidbey Island, you know, like maybe you're in Seattle, uh, what that means is, and I can't reveal all the privileges you're going to get by being a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, but... When you and Charlotte are driving around Seattle, maybe, um, you just pull into a Taco Bell. Don't go inside. Go to the drive-thru and tell them 
they're not going to know who Stu Hynek is, but just say, I'm a member of the Marketing Book Podcast Three Timers Club, and watch what happens. <laughs> Things are going to start happening for you. All right. I'll, I'll give it a try. <laughs> okay. So, you know, well, there you go. There you go. Now, listen, something we got to get out of the way right now. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This will probably be the most downloaded episode in the history of the Marketing Book Podcast, uh, Stu, because the word weed is in the title of your book. But I don't want people... There's going to be a lot of new listeners. This will be the first time they listen. I don't want people to listen to the entire interview and be angry at the end because this is not a book about marijuana, cannabis, CBD, pot, grass, dope, reefer, ganja, hash, herb, chronic, or, or anything like that. This is not a book about lighting up a bowl and getting baked, as the kids say these days. So... Not once in the book is it about marijuana. It's about the weeds you might see in, in nature. Uh, so, That's right. That's yeah. Right. And when we say weed mindset, like, we're not talking about lighting up a bowl or a doom or anything Thank like that. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. But I do appreciate all of you first-time listeners. Uh, you know, they stick around. There's other, there's other uh, interviews that uh, you might like. I was also excited and to see a number of authors mention the book whom I've had the honor of interviewing, such as uh, – Mike Weinberg and Anthony Anarino and Mark Hunter and Josh Steinley and Alexandra Watkins and, and yeah. even Joe Calloway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, yeah, it was just like a kind of like a reunion. I, I read a name like that and I go, oh, I know who that is. Yes, absolutely. So I guess I'm the most excitable uh, reader of these books. Now, one thing, speaking of getting excited, I see on the cover of the book, You've got a quote from uh, Kathy Ireland, who is the world-famous uh, supermodel, author, philanthropist, enormously successful businesswoman. She wrote, weeds scale faster than any business. It's in their DNA. And for those that don't know anything else about Kathy Ireland, she appeared in, in 13 consecutive Sports Illustrated swimsuit issues. I mean, not that I was keeping track, but I, I think everybody knows that. Yeah. So, and actually, there was a book on the show a couple of years ago by Brant Penvidic called The Three Minute Rule. And he's a Hollywood guy. He's pitched probably a thousand um, shows. He, he produced uh, reality TV shows and he really figured out how to make a great three minute pitch. And uh, so, after I interviewed him, I published the interview and I shared it on Twitter and he retweeted it. And Kathy Ireland liked my tweet. Okay, so I'm just saying, you know, we kind of go back, and the issue here is that, Stu, and I feel like I could, uh, just between you and me, these supermodels, they won't leave me alone, okay? They're, you know, and, and I guess, um, yeah, and I, so I find that you interviewed her for the book, and I, you know, we haven't met in person, Stu, but I consider you a friend, and I, I'm, I'm just worried that she's using you to get to me, okay? Because that's, you know, that, that kind of thing happens. And then, then it doesn't end well. I mean, like these supermodels, for instance, Giselle Bunchen, the uh, Brazilian supermodel, you know, you'd think yep. that she would be happy just being married to the American football star, uh, Tom Brady. But no, no, she's messaging me all the time, you know, like, Doug, what should I make Tom for dinner? And it's like, Giselle, oh, come on. We've talked about this. Yeah. It's called Taco Bell. 
Oh, that's right. Go yeah, he doesn't even have to get out of the car. So uh, anyway. I, you know, I just want to say, I got to say something about Kathy because she was incredible to talk with. She was one of the sharp, she's one of the sharpest people I've ever encountered. Well, I'm not surprised. And, oh you know, don't talk about it like she's not here because I know she listens to every episode. But yeah, she is so phenomenal. And I mean this in all sincerity. She's just brilliant. As a, a mil- just one of the many things she's done as a military veteran and a from a military family. My dad was in the military. She's done a lot for military families. Mm-hmm. And that's just one of many wonderful things she's done. Yeah, but if you also, if you, I mean, like you mentioned, she's a businesswoman. She's a, she's a branding maven. I mean, she's, she's just um, unbelievable at, uh, at branding and turning, um, turning a business, well, growing a business. She said she always felt like a weed, like she was always a weed. <laughs> right. like yeah. She's just so, incredibly sharp. Just one of the sharpest people I've ever encountered. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. She's even smarter than she is beautiful, uh, I, I would argue. And she's she, a lot going on. That's, that's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and a very, very good person. So let's jump into the book here. I want to read from um, page four here. You write, there are a lot of people who have the word growth in their titles or in their social media profiles. Many of them talk about revenue generation is growth, but Producing more sales is really just fuel and non-strategic. Whatever growth is, it has to be the result of a repeatable process, not randomly occurring events. Some of these specialists call themselves rainmakers. That is an apt description because rain is a random occurrence and not part of the mechanism that actually produces a plant. Seeds are living things packed with nutrients, biomaterial, and DNA preloaded with strategy, attributes, and process instructions. Without all that, rain would simply get things wet. It wouldn't produce growth. So we need a framework, something that makes sense of every aspect of growth. Fortunately, the weeds have given us a simple model that is easy to understand because it's already so familiar. And I think it's very clever of you to introduce this book uh, in the Northern Hemisphere during spring. I'm on to you. I see what you did there. Plus, you mentioned that in the book. So, you know. But I, I, so the book has four sections it's the nature of weeds, and then the weed mindset, and then the, the weeds model, which covers eight levels of strategy. And then the final section is on. Scaling like a weed. So uh, just jump ahead here to get you started. You write that weeds clearly have a lot to teach us about how to grow an enterprise, a movement, a project, even our own personal stock. Following their example, it seems we can become far more effective at growing anything. Mm-hmm. And then you also write weeds are uniquely suited to conquest. Our businesses should be as well. <laughs> but Stu, the, the big question is why then have the weeds not been recognized as a source of strategy for business? Because this is the first time I've heard of it, but it makes a lot of sense. Well, you know, and it's, a good, I, I, it's a great question. It's one I've asked as well. Why hasn't anyone written about this before or noticed it before? Well, people, well wait a minute. I shouldn't say that because don't we all know what it means to grow like a weed? I mean, yeah. You talk about kids all the time. That's an expression that has been that's permeated our lives, and it permeates every uh, every culture on the on the planet. We all know what it means to grow like a weed. We watch them, we see them. They're all around us, and we can see that they're. Well, I don't know if we actually analyze then that they're running their process and they've got they never do anything without an unfair advantage and all these things that they're actually up to. But you can certainly see that they grow like crazy, mm-hmm. and and they're persistent and and resilient and so on. I mean, all the things that we want to be in business. 
So I don't know. I'm not sure why um, why it, it waited for me, but I'm I thank God that, that it did. <laughs> they're, they're, uh, weeds are just amazing. Yeah. Well, now we should clarify that there really is no such thing as a weed, right? Well, I mean, there's you know as a as a genus it's, or phylus in, in 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 biology, no, there isn't. It's just this term that we have for a, for a plant that is especially uh, you know, I don't know, robust or or intrusive, certainly intrusive, but it doesn't do what we want it to do. Right. Or it's it growing where it shouldn't be. Exactly. It might show up where we don't want it. It shows up where yeah. it's not Uh-huh. So it's sort of like, um, it's shorthand for pest. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So what might it look like when someone uh, performs like a weed in business? You've got Loads of examples in the book. I do, I do. Well, I mean, the first example I gave was was T Boone Pickens, mm-hmm. um, and so for for people in the audience who don't know who he is, because there are probably a lot that don't know. But if we if you grew up at a certain time, and I think you and I, I know you and I both did, he was in the news all the time. Oh yeah, because he was the he was maybe the if he could have been he certainly was one of the the original corporate uh, first corporate raiders and. Right, and and really well known as an oil, uh, energy, you know, Texas oil man. Yeah, yeah. So, so, but you know, so I had the, the just the the incredible um, uh, privilege of being able to go to Dallas and meet him and and hear what he had to say, and it was it was just amazing. He, you know, it started when he was twelve, I think, something like that. He he had a little paper route, and he he was paid, I think, a penny per paper that we, that he delivered every day, and. Um, and but he had the I think he said he had the smallest root in in um, in his hometown. I think that was in Oklahoma. I can't remember now. But mm-hmm. anyway, so just as a kid, that, this this was him. And you, you you already see the mindset of a weed in in what he was doing in his paper route because every time someone said, you know, I don't feel like doing that, he would acquire those those roots <laughs> right. around acquiring roots all over the place. Yeah, and and before I knew it, he well, he had all this. He had the biggest route in the in the, in the town, and he was um, he was making well, you know, quite a bit of money as a kid for for a kid back in those days. But he was making he was doing really well, and and so that that acquisition, that fever for acquisition, or that just understanding of how you can acquire other. I don't know. We let entities, and suddenly your entity grows. Was uh, was inst- I was instilled in him at a very young age. He was already a total weed as a kid, <laughs> but right. he really, really then just multiplied it. So, uh, you know, he went he went to school, went, went got a good, got a good job. He started at Phillips Petroleum, and uh, and he he was kind of frustrated with the this just the bureaucracy of the place and ended up going out on his own. Uh, he, I think that's when he founded Mesa uh, Petroleum. And so he, he was, you know, following the, the, the model that everyone else was following. And the thing that was really cool about him is that he doesn't follow those models. He doesn't follow them for very long. He makes up his own. And, and that's what weeds do. We, you know, they, they, they're constantly cultivating new unfair advantages. So this is what his was. He realized that, you know, all these companies had oil reserves, and that's what he was trying to to accumulate in his company. And to do that, they had to go drill a lot of a lot of wells, a lot of holes in the ground. To, and you know, they, these would either be dry holes or or they'd be a hit. And and he realized, you know, I could do that, or I could. Well, why don't I acquire some of the companies that already have these reserves? Then I'll have those reserves. And 
just like his paper routine. So <laughs> right. He was. So he so in the shower one one day he's saying to himself, Why don't I just I should just see if I can I should just reach out to to to, to some of these companies that are I mean, sort of similar in my to my size, but maybe a lot still, you know, multiples of my size. And he reached out and nothing was they weren't they weren't taking it. Particularly this one company, Hugoton. And and then he had another shower epiphany. Well what if they won't do it voluntarily, why don't I get some investors behind me and we'll just we'll buy up their stock. Quietly. Yeah. Yeah, quietly. Just uh-huh. sneak up on them and buy up their stock. Like a weed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And it, just like weeds spread all over the place, right? Yep. That's exactly what he did, and it, and he pulled it off. So, Hugoton was 28 times the size of his company, and instantly his company became 28 times bigger than it was. Uh, just again, just like the paper route um, uh-huh. example. And then then so here's another really interesting thing. So then he said, "Well, okay, I got to go after the really really big ones." He kept having these epiphanies in the shower. So, um, and this is another one. He just said, "You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna make a run at I can't remember if it was Philips that was next, but he went after the big ones, Philips and Gulf Oil and Unical, eventually. Um, but he so he he went after uh, uh, after this next company, and uh, and so then they were on to him, and they they put up defenses. Here's the thing." People think that some people think that T. Boone Pickens, they think of him as a corporate writer or, or raider, is one of those people who comes in and acquires a company um, over a, in, in a hostile takeover and and then divides it up, sells it all off, and everybody loses their jobs and they're just they're destructive. They're a destructive force in society. But that's not who he was. What he was doing was he was he was acquiring these companies, but. But it was to it was to hold the companies. I mean, the companies had huge value in them, and what he recognized was that they they had. Uh, I don't. I'm not sure quite how they were doing this, but the the management of these companies was artificially suppressing the value of the stock. I don't know why they would do that, but they were doing that, and so stockholders weren't actually. And if the if the stock was valued just based on the on the reserves that the company held then they'd be much higher. So every time he went in, this is the thing that was really interesting. Every time he made a run at a company, he'd do it really quietly. Um, they'd just be buying up blocks of stock and suddenly the company would notice it and they'd start buying up the stock. And, <laughs> and, and so there was this bidding war for the, for the stock and the stock prices went up. They were, they were sort of restored to where they should have been. So it turned out that anytime he made a run at a company, even if he didn't end up Taking over the company, his positions on the stock that he was buying, um, you know, his investors were behind all this too, and so anytime he did that, those holdings went; they just mushroomed in value. So he made a lot; he'd make mil- hundreds of millions of dollars just by making a run at a company, even if he didn't take it over. And all of the all of the shareholders loved it as well. I mean, it, it was sort of like he was Robin Hood. Yeah, it's a great story, and you you mentioned several others in the book. TV advertising is a powerful channel for business growth, and it's a counterintuitive solution for businesses frustrated by the rising costs of digital marketing. But the traditional process for launching TV campaigns is expensive, time-consuming, and complex. That's why 
marketing architects flipped the traditional process on its head. With all-inclusive TV advertising, they invest their own money to produce, analyze, and optimize your TV campaign. All you pay for is media, setting you up for rapid growth at a significant cost advantage. This approach to TV is so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. It's called All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising. It explores how a variety of brands are using TV to transform their businesses and how you can do the same. For a free copy of the book, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. I want to ask you about another, uh, I guess, question you pose, and it's uh, how, how do the metaphors of popular business growth strategy like flywheels, uh, operating systems, uh, you, you mentioned traction tires, blue water, how do those actually distract from the more straightforward uh, lessons that weeds have to offer? Well, I think the thing is, I mean, look, you're talking, we're talking about brilliant books and, and brilliant strategies, but but the models and the and I should say the metaphors that they're using are not they're not what we normally you don't think of a flywheel you know, when you're thinking about well I got to grow my business um, and it makes sense the, the the momentum built in in a flywheel makes a lot of sense traction getting traction makes a lot of sense but but what what I find is that then those those the, the, there's there isn't enough depth to the metaphor to carry the user of that metaphor or the reader of the book further and and to have them absolutely just understand and and absorb the um the the fullness of the metaphor and the right. of the model so we all know what it means to grow like a weed and and you know um there was a time when i was i mean the, what set all this off was uh, for me was driving down the santa monica freeway one one time long long time ago and i noticed a dandelion growing out of a crack in the concrete median in the freeway. And, you know, it's, it's something that we see all the time. It's so, it's so natural to us to see that. And I mean, in a split second, I'm saying, wow, that's incredible. I mean, look at this, this thing is just sitting in the middle of a freeway where no plant belongs Mm -hmm. and it's, it's making a living. It's running its process. It's incredible that it's doing that. And you might wonder, well, how did it get there? And then on the other hand, you might say, well, it's so natural to understand how it got there dandelions have those seeds that blow around and they probe every possible opportunity to take root and, and really every opportunity to sort of ex- to, to expand, or you could say, to take up more market share. And, and so we see weeds doing these things all over the place, all around us. So I think it's really, really, it's just so deeply understandable that if we were if we're basing our growth strategy on what weeds do, we can watch what weeds do. I mean, when you after you hear this interview, I guarantee a lot of the people listening will go out and they'll notice what the weeds are doing in their lawn. <laughs> Just today, I was pulling up some uh, little yellow dandelions uh, that hadn't uh, turned into the part that spreads. And of course, now whenever I see weeds, I think of Stu Heineck. <laughs> but I look at the I look at the weeds with greater respect. So uh, anyway, well, listen. Um, let me ask you. I'm going to go to chapter three, which is uh, about page twenty three, twenty four for those playing the home game. If we could communicate with weeds, or if they could communicate with us, what would they want us to know about them? Oh, what a good question. Um, and and you know, I think one of the things. Look, weeds can't talk, right? So. 
and I, I don't speak. I don't speak with them. I'm just watching and observing, and I've, I've you know, interviewed a lot of experts. Yeah, but Stu, you, you probably could be a spokesman for the weeds now, because you've written this book. Yeah. You could speak. Yeah. You're a weed leader. You, you could speak on behalf of them. I'm saying, you know, we could watch weeds, and we can divine what it is they're doing. Exactly. Doing, right? So, so I think one of the things that they would tell us is, I think one of the primary things they would tell us is deal with what is. What a simple concept. But... We don't face what is. We we uh, we we experience setbacks, and we think to ourselves, "Oh my gosh, you know, you know, if that setback hadn't happened, I would have been this much further along." Um, if if I, you know, if if only people were were seeing me the right way, or just I mean, like instead of being just just focused on what could have been, what should have been, what we thought we would deserved, all these things that end up just taking up focus and time. If we just are, are just hard-nosed about, okay, something changed, i got to deal with what is right now. And things are always changing. Almost a little, uh, a bit stoic? No, just highly, highly focused. Mm. Just highly focused. I don't know if this will help, but uh, my daughter was caught up in, um, she was flying home from, from Seattle to LA uh, the day after Christmas. And that was when all of the flights were being canceled and people were being stranded at the airport. And, and so she called me in a panic. She thought, oh my gosh, I don't, you know, now the, the line is like around the terminal and, 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 and I'm not going to get home and I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss this. And I said, Reka, that's my daughter's name, but if you, you've got to focus on what is. Just focus on what is. What is it? What's going on right now is there's a huge delay and a lot of people are in the same boat. So you need to, you need to just focus on that problem alone, on that challenge alone and solve mm. it. So mm-hmm. here's what you do. I mean, let, let's talk about how you solve it. And we came up with a set of steps that she would take. And, and it took her 24 hours to get home. I mean, it, but, but she solved it. And it, it took away a lot of the anxiety and a lot of the lost focus. Mm-hmm. Well, what am I going to miss out on? Because I'm not going to be in LA tonight and all that stuff. Just no, that's, that's all just extraneous stuff. It's, it's, it's junk right now. You can think about it later, but it it doesn't help you get where you want to go. So weeds are saying, deal with what is. Just focus on what is. And such a simple thing, but such a a profound way to a new kind of a new way to see things. Yeah, it's like the dandelion could have been thinking, oh no, I can't grow in that little crack on the Santa Monica freeway. Yeah. But it just it's where it's where I am. Let's let's do it. Let's let's get going. That, think about that because it just. You know, it just wherever it showed up, it just said, "Okay, this is where this is where we run the process." <laughs> right? It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. that it didn't end up at the beach somewhere, or you know, or that it was in the middle of a freeway. Uh huh. Did it? It just did it. There was no complaining. Of course, I mean, they don't complain, and they don't have emotions. Um, but, but I think if they could talk to us, they'd say, "Get those emotions out of your way. Let your let let your actions lead your emotions, and not the other way around." Yes, that's you know, a great. Hmm. Hmm. Well. Again, this is not a book about getting yourself in a situation where you'll do things you won't be proud of in order to get a bag of Doritos. So having said that, let's talk about the weed mindset, okay? Again, I have to set these things up so that people won't think we're, you know, uh, we're talking about the ganja. So you have six sort, uh, short chapters on the mindset of weeds, um, which are all necessary in order to, as you say, neutralize threats, defeat adversaries, and dominate new 
ground. And they are quickly here. Uh, irrepressible optimism, ruthless persistence, brutal urgency, fearsome aggression, nimble adaptability, and alien resilience. And we don't have time to get to all of them, but I wanted to start and ask uh, about optimism. <laughs> I just yeah. that was great. Again, back to you're yeah. talking about let your actions affect your emotions. You, so in that section, as we just talked about, you write, if weeds were teaching us their form of optimism, they would start by telling us, deal with what is, as you just mentioned. Mm-hmm. But is optimism something that can be learned or is it something that we're just, is like a hand we're dealt in a card game? Well, I'm going to answer that question, but there's another question, which is how the hell can a, can a weed have any, like be optimistic? I know. That's that's why we're talking about it. That struck me as so uh, interesting. I mean, how can, how can a weed, which has no brain, how can it even have a mindset? Right. That's, it's pretty crazy. But if you look at weeds, people say the same about me, but, Please continue. Well, yeah, well, we're, we're going to cover that. But uh, but the thing is that if you think about it, um, I, I guess a, a mindset can be something that is thought of and, and expressed. You can express it in your words, certainly your actions, or it can be just something that's apparent. And 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 I think that if we think about weeds as maybe as the the species or the grove or the the the, you know, the, the collective of weeds as as a as a single entity, there's some sort of collective intelligence going huge collective intelligence going on there, and we'll, I'm sure we'll we'll flesh that out even further. But but if you watch what they do and you watch how they do it, there is definitely a mindset behind that, and they're they are aggressive and urgent. I mean, they if you cut down a if you pull out a weed if you knock it down, what does it do? It keeps it goes right back to running its process and rebuilding. And and there's no complaining, there's no whining, there's no, oh gosh, if that hadn't happened, I would have been over here. I would have been this big instead of that big. It just, it doesn't care. It just runs its process and it's, it's incredible. So, um, so when you, when I, so we can become more like that. We can actually become more optimistic. Yeah, we can. And, and, uh, and I think this is the way we do it. Um, is that, again, I, I mentioned earlier that if weeds could talk to us, they'd say, deal with what is, but they'd also say, you know, we don't have emotions, so we, we, we don't, they don't get in our way. They get in your way. <laughs> right. They don't get in our way, but they get in your way. So what we would suggest is instead of letting your emotions lead your actions, turn it around. Let your actions lead your emotions. And I think that's profound as well because if we start, let's say, exercising every morning when we weren't before, then we manufacture optimism. And and more. I mean, I think we train our brains to be more perseverant and so forth. I mean, it, it, we can allow those actions that to, to do the things that we would do if we were feeling more optimistic or more excited about what we were doing. Just give yourself permission to do those anyway and watch what happens because you do become more optimistic. It's so true. If you could just get a few things done quickly in the morning, it really gets things rolling. And for me, you know, exercising is one of the most important things. Yeah. And you actually talk about yeah. that. But you, you mentioned um, we've been letting our emotions run our actions when we should be doing the opposite. Our actions should drive our emotions. Psychologists have long noted the correlation between deeds and feelings. Act optimistically, and you will become optimistic. So, great, great advice, and uh, you know, it's just something I, I kind of forgot about. So, let's talk about ruthless persistence. 
I want to read a quote from, uh, let's see here, page uh, 56. You write, we're told that to be successful in business, we must be persistent. We're told that so often the word has nearly lost its meaning. You can only be told, just keep going, so many times. I believe its meaning is diminished because we lack a mental picture of what true persistence looks like. So how, how, would, how would persistence be viewed by weeds? Well, I think one thing I should say is how can we also, uh, how could we see their or observe their, their persistence? And, and so I did, t- I talked about these blackberries that are in our backyard and it's this grove of blackberries or I don't know, it's a clump, whatever. It's a big one. And, um, and they're just wild as, cr- they're just crazy wild. And, and so they're really, you, it's impossible to, to get rid of them. It's impossible to control them. So I, you know, I've, and I've tried a lot of things. I've dug them out. We had someone come in with a tractor, and they they dug them out. But you know, the seeds are in the ground. They'll just reactivate. And and the the, the um, I don't know what these things are called, but the tubers are the, the sort of heart shaped um, um, bulb in the ground, almost rock hard. They're they're crazy, crazy. I mean, crazy uh, tough things. But anyway, so the 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 tractor came in, and the crew came in, and they removed all of the all of the material, and then they came right back. And then I went out with a pickaxe and I started removing those. those oh, that's those, right. Uh, yeah. Shapes, um, uh, bulbs. And they came back. And then we started, you know, put a paint in. We'd cut the, the, the shoots and, and, and we didn't want to put a lot of Roundup. Roundup is terrible stuff. Well, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit. Yeah. We, we would put it on the stems just to kill them off to keep coming back. So now I've taken to just mowing it with the lawnmower. But they here's the thing, they just keep coming back. And that's the one thing you know about weeds. They will just keep coming back. It doesn't matter what's what's happening. If they're alive at all, they will come back. And they've got all kinds of really interesting as I've said before, they never do anything without an unfair advantage. And they've got a lot of those built into how they keep coming back. And I think the thing that that we need to see as as business people is just we we need to see how they just how they 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 keep running their process. They have a process that they run that's been honed over millions of years, and it's adaptive. It's crazy how, how good and how effective these, these processes are. But they have a process that they run, and what they keep falling back to is, I'm going to keep running my process. So no matter what's happening, no matter what setback has just occurred, I'm going to keep running my process. And that's what they do. They just, mm-hmm. they just never, how could I say it never occurs to them? Nothing occurs to them. But, but it would never occur to them to stop running their process until, until the season calls for it. I mean, that's part of the process as well. They go into senescence in the fall. So then they'll stop. They'll regroup. They'll, you know, they do what they do during, that, during their off time. But, um, but they won't stop until then. You can't yeah. You know, it reminded me of a couple of American football coaches like Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, who are famous for saying, just do your job. Just focus on what you yeah. are supposed to be doing. Don't worry about anything else. That sound, you know, that might sound like a put down. Would you just do your damn job? <laughs> you know? But if you think about it, what they're saying is keep running your process. You've learned the process. You know what it is. We know it works. Process is the accumulation of expertise and, and then and the the dispersal of that expertise to every every person, every member of the the organization. Yeah. That's what we need to do. That's they have the gift of a process. They may not even yeah. appreciate it. 
Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I, mean, I used to hear the word process, and it would put me to sleep. I mean, I would just think, "Oh my God, this is so bureaucratic." And uh, but but weeds completely changed my mind about process. They have a magical process that they're running, and we should too. Yeah. So let's talk about alien resilience. Hmm. You write that of all the attributes of the weed mindset, which I mentioned earlier, you know, resilience struck a nerve, particularly with the most prominent experts and strategists and personalities you interviewed for the book. So why is resilience the capstone of the six attributes of the weed mindset? Well, I think I, you know, I just described the, 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 uh, the persistence of, of the blackberries in my backyard, but I guess we could also call that resilience. They're never giving up. They're never going away. <laughs> right. They never lose faith in what they're doing. They just keep going, which makes which is what causes them to win so overwhelmingly out there in the field. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that that's just. I, and also, I want to say you'll find that there's a lot of overlap between these things, uh, right? So, but if you can have more of them, you'll be that more uh, that much more effective. Yeah, you yeah. Should, you should take on the whole model. But there will be some there will be some overlap. I, you know, I think one of the things that that I you you know. I actually interviewed you for the book too. You're part of the book. Right. Thank you for doing that. But yeah, I, uh, when I got to page 151, not that I was keeping track, it was like, oh, not that guy. <laughs> yeah. No, I was really honored to be able to. And then actually, you had a blurb for me at the beginning of the book, and I thought, man, that sounds really smart. I I don't well, know if I said it, but that's where I, I was going. That's where <laughs> I was going. Well, you know, when 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 I interviewed everybody for the for the book, I was saying, okay, now that we've spoken about weeds as a positive thing, as a you know a positive force in our lives to help us grow and show how to grow, show us how to grow. Is there some quick quote that comes to mind? And you said, weeds are nature's SWOT analysis. And I'm thinking, that is exactly what I want everybody to take from this book. And just to take from weeds in general, because every time I've spoken to people about weed strategy and about what, how awesome weeds are as a, as a guide to growth, you know, I'll hear, invariably, I'll hear back from them and they'll say, oh my God, I just started noticing what the weeds are doing in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're amazing, and and so your statement, your your quote about their there being nature's SWOT analysis is so true. I hope that everyone will start watching what weeds are doing and take a lot of inspiration, not just inspiration, but I don't know, just insight from what the weeds are doing and kind of what they're saying. Yeah, well, and I still don't want them necessarily on my beautiful yard. No, but when I see them, like I did today, <laughs> it's like I have this. Kind of weird admiration now because uh, yeah. I've learned so much about them and and what they go through. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Well, you should because they're just they're awesome. They're so amazing. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on to the to the weeds model, and that is all the different strategies. And so the the model are uh, eight uh, things. It's um, seed strategy, seed pod strategy, thorn strategy, segmentation strategy. Rosette strategy, vine strategy, root strategy, and soil strategy. Yeah. Let me just uh, elaborate just a little bit further from page 233. Um, so what, a little bit more about what those mean, and we can't go into all of them, but seed strategy helps us gain dominant footholds with overwhelming amounts of awareness and market attraction. So some people are thinking, when are we going to start talking about the marketing? It's coming. And then uh, seed pod strategy gives us multipliers of that same awareness and attraction. Thorn strategy defends our position and 
IP, intellectual property, and denies entry to rivals. This is something going to be really relevant to the folks in the tech world. Segmentation strategy, segmentation strategy keeps us balanced and alert, ready to defend against any disruption. Rosette strategy has us always seeking and developing more unfair advantages. Vine strategy gives us quicker and more dominant access to markets and critical resources. Root strategy stewards assets and maximizes the overall worth of the company. And soil strategy helps create advantages all around us that enhance our growth potential. So let me just pick out a few of those things. Let's talk about the seed strategy. And yeah. I got to be honest. I I probably have more questions on this than any other uh, chapter. Not that I didn't understand it, but there's just so many things I wanted to share with the the listener. And I'm going to page. I'm flipping through here. Page 99. Explain what you mean when you write that weeds employ ingenious methods and designs to create enormous fields of seed dispersion and rapid expansion of their domains. That is precisely what we need to do for our businesses, too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about, let's say, uh, dandelions are, are the most common uh, uh, version of a, of a weed, I guess. that We're all familiar with dandelions, and we see what they do with those seeds. We also see what they do with their seed pods, but those, those seeds have been designed, they've evolved, so that they... They fly around and they probe every possible opportunity to take root. And they, they will spread and spread and spread. If you think about a dandelion versus a sequoia, or I'm in a forest right now of, of Douglas fir trees, and they're huge trees. That's my favorite tree. They're beautiful. Oh, yeah, I, I don't know why. But, so, but they just drop these little, when, when it comes time for them to seed and spread, they drop their little pine cones. It's kind of surprising how little those pine cones are, but they... they drop those cones, and they just land at their roots. They don't go anywhere. They don't spread anywhere. But a dandelion has this built-in unfair advantages, and it go, these unfair advantages, and those seeds especially, they, they, they will, one dandelion plant will spread over, I don't know, could be a quarter of a mile, something like that. I mean, it just, they, they, and, and other, other weeds, I mean, dandelions are kind of weed light. They're, they're, they're so tame compared to some other forms. Oh, I learned. Yes. Oh my goodness. Man, oh, yeah. Man. But still, but dandelion is operating with that completely unfair advantage as opposed to other other plants that just drop their seeds and you know sometimes animals will pick them up and drop them somewhere else. But but you know that these seeds are everywhere. Here's the th- I'm going to give you one example though because because each chapter in the book is headed by a weed species. Right. It, with an illustration. Yeah, cool illustrations from the from the Royal Botanical Garden in in London, and so but but the the one that I put at the head of of the seed strategy uh, chapter is water hemp, and water hemp is if you know if dandelions are kind of a lightweight version, and you know they're really hard to get rid of. It's, I mean, they're already a big a big challenge to deal with, but but water hemp, my God, that's that's been showing up in farmers' fields and agricultural fields all over North America recently, and. That plant is well. It's it's an annual. We'll come back to that. It's an annual, and um and no, actually I won't. Annuals, you know, the, the entire population dies off every year. So when they evolve, 
they evolve at lightning speed. It's really interesting to see what happens. I mean, that's a really, really uh, <laughs> like a startup. They don't have much time. Well, kind of, but it, it's also this. It is kind of like a startup because it's absolutely extreme. Yeah, in, you know, in its existence. So, so what that plant does when it is is every plant produces up to four point eight million seeds. Let me give it. And a, 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 a comparison, a dandelion is a perennial. It lives five to 10 years, and it pops out f- an average of 15,000 seeds. So we already know when dandelions pop up in our lawns, it's, it's impossible to control them. And you see the seeds going everywhere. But imagine 4.8 million seeds per plant from, from, from this weed. And, and so um, this plant, just it, it's, it's never going away. And these these seeds are just, they, they don't have any sort of special, they don't have any wings or tufts or anything. They just drop. But they're, they're about the size of a caraway seed, and they, they embed in the ground, and they're, you will never get rid of them. And here's the thing also, that, that because it's a, a, an annual and because it's evolving so quickly, you could then look at its process. Its process is, is its evolution. So its process has, um, you know, we, we dump a lot of seeds. There will be mutations within those seeds that will deal with whatever comes up. So one of the things that farmers do to, to control weeds on their, on their, uh, in their fields is they use herbicides. One of those is Roundup or glyphosate, mm-hmm. really poisonous stuff. But that process that, that, uh, that water hemp uses has allowed it to evolve around Roundup. It's, it's created immunity to Roundup in four years. Ah, that's amazing. That's unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. It's poisonous, but it's now immune to it. Yeah. And and it, it but the way that it, it succeeds, the way that it, it does everything is it just pops out an enormous amount of seeds. So what does that mean for us and our businesses? Well, seeds are analogous to anything that causes people to become aware of us and form the intent to transact with us in some way. So let's use what we're doing right now. You're interviewing me and... And you, your your podcast has over a hundred million downloads. Now that's spread across. I don't know how many episodes. You no, have. it's uh, it's a lot. It's, of it's millions of downloads. It's over one hundred sixty countries. Wow. Okay. Well, that's that's amazing. I don't want the fact checkers coming after me here. Sorry, that. But, <laughs> but so what I mean, it's it's a huge. Uh, well, actually, you're a seed pod. You're part of part of my seed pod strategy. Okay, we'll come to that in just a second sorry, here. Sorry to do that to you, but that's yeah. Well, pods, they they launch the seed. They 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 multiply. They're they're a multiplier of seeds. Yeah, actually, let's. Um, you mentioned sequoia, and I had to yeah. laugh because the forward to your book is written by Nicola Corzine, yes. executive director of the Nasdaq Entrepreneurial Center, yes. and she wrote that most. Okay, you mentioned Sequoia, so I immediately thought of Sequoia Capital, the venture capital firm. That's why I brought it up. Right, and she said, most venture capital groups are named after trees, but they're really after weed-like growth. So anyway, that yeah, I've never met her. I don't know her, but she made me chuckle. So yeah, <laughs> I mean, let me quote more about this. You uh, write, in the weeds model, seeds are anything that creates awareness and intent in others to transact with us. They include products, services, brands, innovations, discoveries, memes, referrals, social 
and traditional media buzz, reputations, social movements, ideas, concepts, designs, word of mouth, articles, speeches, books, marketing, natural or recurring events, proposals, fascinations, stories, timing, free trials, gifts, interviews, thought leadership, experiences, market upsets, viral content, evangelism, insights, e-commerce, tracking, pixels, philanthropy, relationships, sales calls, customer buzz and reviews, podcasts, boy, I was wondering when you're going to get to that, podcasts and blogs, names and domains and courses. But then you go on to say, most of what passes as marketing and sales activity is bland and uninspiring. We see sales reps using automated connection requests and email sequences that are utterly out of touch with the humanity of the people they're trying to reach. Mm. Most advertising falls short of inspiring any of us to take any action. It's just unwelcome background noise that brings zero value to anyone's life. And I want you to explain this. You write, if weeds were marketers, they would be pushing us to do far, far better. Well, yeah, I, I think that's true. I mean, you can... you. Obviously, because I wrote it, but you can um, <laughs> really resonated with me. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, and first of all, look at all look at all the possibilities. I mean, that's the longest chapter in the book. And I'm kind oh, of, is it? I, yeah, it oh. is it's the longest chapter. And 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 I'm a seed guy. I I, I have this I have this problem because uh, uh, I well, actually, it's not a problem. It's what we all. It's a part of also part of our nature. We we focus on the things we're good at, or the things that we're most interested in, and that leaves us. Even you mentioned that the weeds are our SWOT analysis, our nature SWOT analysis. I mean that that causes us to to focus beyond what our narrow focus is, and weeds do that too in this in the weeds model. And so, I, I I'm a I'm an ideas guy, and so you know my my earlier books they were they've been about getting meetings and about using things that are just devices and and approaches that cause people to say, wow. I love the way this person thinks. Who is this? We got meet. Well, like, let's not let's not overlook the whole career you've had as a cartoonist. You yeah, know, well, and, and the role true. that our ideas play yeah. there. They they do they they do and and so um, yeah. I'm, and I'm going to give you a crazy example of seed strategy for this book. Um, as you mentioned, it's it it launches in um, it launches in the springtime. And in the Northern Hemisphere. In the Northern Hemisphere. Shout right? out to our listeners in the uh, Southern Hemisphere. Yeah, it's coming. It's <laughs> right. Coming. About six months. But, so, but, but I'm, that's on purpose because I wanted it to launch when weeds themselves were launching and when they're showing up all over the place. And I hope, I don't know, but I hope that, uh, that as people spot the weeds, if they notice the weeds in their yards and everywhere else, they say, oh my God, here come the weeds. I want them to be saying, oh, but there's that book. <laughs> you know, so, it's, ex- it's working. It's, yeah, that that those, tingling means it's working because I already those, did that today. Yeah. I mean, those, those weeds, I don't know. If, again, I don't know if anybody's done this, but, but if weeds showing up all over the world help to, to act as a meme to remind people of the book, that's, that's, a, that's a hell of a seed strategy. Genius. Right? <laughs> yeah. For it. Yeah. Well, you're right. If we follow the example of weeds, what in our world corresponds to the wings weeds give their seeds? What adds special purpose or a more compelling nature to our stories, ideas, products, sales calls, innovations, and more? How do we avoid producing seeds that simply fall to the ground, creating no spread in our marketplace, like the tree you're talking about? Mm. So you write that there are three critical attributes that cause people to react to marketing stimuli. And I was wondering if you could touch on these three. Audacity, fascination, and insight. 
audacity, fascination, and insight. Explain what you mean about those three. Well, I think I'll start with audacity. When I uh, when I started talking about about getting meetings, when I send someone a cartoon about themselves, and I'm and I'm, that, so they're getting a cartoon by one of the Wall Street Journal cartoonists, and it's about them. There's something, and I you know I have to create it well, and I have to it has to be well targeted and so forth. That's everything has to be working. But when that happens, and people get it, and they say, "Oh my God, look at this!" and they start showing it around, that's that's audacity. I'll give you a different example, though. There, there was um, someone I interviewed for one of my earlier books who had a business card that was printed on a sheet of rubber. So, oh right, yeah, yeah, it's such a cool thing. So, so, but what he did was <clears throat> he had the 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 card. So it's the same size and shape of a of a business card. But what they did is they they put it on a jig, so they stretched it out, and then they printed his name and his his contact information on what he you know what he did. And and so then the ink cures and dries. They take it off, returns to its original shape, and then all, like those balloons, you know, that had have writing on them, you, you can't quite see what they're what they are until you blow air into the, into the balloon. Well, you couldn't read his card until you pulled on it on both ends and stretched it. And so when you do that, it reveals it's Paul Nielsen's card. He's a fitness trainer. And guess what? He already has you exercising. <laughs> so he's metaphor. He's already got you exercising. Yes. So he would. He, he he said every time he handed one of those things out, he would get three or four new clients, and that happened because people were saying, "Look at this card I got from this guy." Right. Right. Check this out, and then people would pull on. Look at that. He already has you as you exercising, and they'd have a big laugh. They say, "I got to write this guy this guy's number down." That's audacity. Yeah. Let me add to that. Audacity shows courage. It draws people to us. Delivering compelling and useful insight has the same effect. If people learn something just by interacting with us, we become a valuable and trusted resource. Someone people are always willing to follow and engage. That was audacity. Fascination. Now, that's a big word that I think probably means different things to different people. Explain uh, your context. Well, I think you know. Again, uh, oh boy, I I I do go. I'll be relying a lot on my on my. my contact marketing uh, experience, but but you're Stu Heineck. You're you're allowed to do that. Yeah, I can still do it. seeds. So you know. So the thing is that when you send something, I'm going to actually. I'll tell another story. Cool story. Dan Waldschmidt is a. He's you know he's a. I think you've probably had him on your show, but <laughs> no, I haven't. But I've read about oh, him in your shoot, books. You gotta have him. He's you gotta, a sword guy. Yes, exactly. So Dan's a turnaround specialist and. And well, he's, I mean, he's also a big sales blogger and and uh, an and author. Um, but and he write actually writes the blog and the, and wrote the book Edgy Conversations. And he runs hundred mile marathons and wins. Oh, and that's right! I forgot about athlete. that. Yeah. So there's this, sort of this knife's edge ultra competitiveness to his personal brand, anyway. But but he's a turnaround specialist. So he was telling me what his process is for for getting new clients. What he does is he reads. The, the business news looking for stories of missed earnings estimates. And when he finds one, you know, some, someone, a CEO in trouble, you can't buy a list of those. So, but he, when he finds one, then he has a sword made up by the prop maker who made the swords for the movie Gladiator. So now quite a few years ago, but, but these beautiful swords. These <laughs> one of my really, favorite movies. Yeah. A good, great movie. But it has these beautiful swords made up and he has the CEO's name engraved on it. And, uh, and and one of his favorite inscriptions: "If you're not all in, you're not in at all." And then he has this package in this beautiful wooden box, and he sends it with a handwritten note. Um, I don't think he has logos on the note even. Um, and 
So you might say there's no branding, but there's huge branding going on. Mm-hmm. So, so the note says, dear, uh, dear Douglas, uh, listen, I, I, business is war, and I noticed you lost a battle recently. I just want to let you know, if you ever need a few extra hands in battle, we've got your back. And so that's the explanation for sending the sword. <laughs> and, and, and as I mentioned, there's no logo on there. There's, it's not, I don't even think it's on his letterhead, so there wouldn't be a logo. But that handwritten message, the fact that he took the, hand, the time to write a handwritten message and what he wrote, and the, type, the, the fact that he had a sword made up and, and sent to the CEO, he's getting a 100% response rate. To that <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. And so what's happening there is that well, that's actually all three. That's audacity, fascination, of, and yeah. insight. Yeah. Well, remember I was saying also about about all of the weed strategy um, pieces that there there's a lot of overlap. So you'll see that in in these examples. And so, but certainly, you know, the, the CEO is not saying God. He's not sitting around saying, you know, I, I really wish I had a sword right now. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> they're not expecting that. That I don't think anyone has an affinity with swords. But when they get it, they're thrilled to get it because it's a visual metaphor. It explains, it says in an instant who Dan is, what the value is that he plan, he plans to bring to to your organization should you engage him, and just sort of what his philosophy is and just how ultra-competitive he is. He's willing to go to battle with you, or, you know, at your side, <clears throat> but he's willing to go to battle and fall on a sword for you. Um, and, and all of that is said in just an instant. And and I think that that so you know that obviously the CEOs are not throwing those swords away. They don't throw the cartoons away that I send. You know, no, they they that would probably impress their spouse and children. I know I got a, a cartoon from you that had my name on it, and as you know, yeah, I framed it. Yeah, and uh, my wife even noticed it, and she said, "Wow, what, how how did you get that?" And I told her the whole story, and you know what she said? You have a podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, I wish she had some kind of some kind of quip like that. Yeah, yeah she's she's like uh, your wife. You know, I mean, we both married up. You know, beautiful, very smart women, but very hard to impress. So yeah, they get bored. Yeah, right. <laughs> or they get yeah. used to what we do anyway. Yeah, and she actually finishes my jokes it, it, to save time because she knows the ones I'm, I'm about to tell. Let me ask you one other quick thing, and I appreciate you telling me that this was the longest chapter because it really, I spent a lot of time. I how are stories. The ultimate seeds. Well, I mean, how how viral is a story? I mean, a, a good story just goes on and on and on. Yeah, and it's and, and like uh, like the seeds on a dandelion. It's the the stories just stick in your brain. You know, I I tell the story of how my wife and I because we we're talking about our wives. How I met my wife, and she she's um, I saw her in a magazine. <laughs> she's a penthouse cover model, and. <laughs> I wrote to the magazine, and uh, I had a film project in mind. And uh, how do I reach this? This um, who is she, and how do I reach her? And uh, they put me in touch with her photographer, and, and, and I don't know where she was. She could have been anywhere in the world, and, but she lived in Copenhagen. And um, uh, so they, so they they wrote back and said, "Here's her. Her name is Charlotte. We don't know if she speaks a word of English. Here's her photographer's name and number. Good luck." And she's my wife. <laughs> and so I'm shortening that story a lot. But but this is a reminder to the listeners. This is a guy who wrote a book called How to Get a Meeting with Anyone. <laughs> yes, well, it's useful to be able to do that, isn't it? Right. right. It a message to you young guys out there looking for Miss Wright, you know. But I mean, so that's the kind of story that 
I mean, I've told that story on the radio. I've told it a lot of times. And then, I, and then I've pulled back from telling it because it's like, I don't want to perform the story. But that story gets <laughs> passed around a lot. And, and so you can't keep that down. <laughs> There's no way to extinguish that. No. I was just telling yeah. a colleague that story today. I mean, I did, that story stuck in my mind, and not, not because of Penthouse. But let's uh, let's move on here. Get, but stories are the ultimate seeds. They are whatever the opposite of kryptonite is to Superman. Um, they're just they're unbelievably spinach to Popeye. Spot spinach to Popeye. Thank you, thank you. Just yeah. one last question I want to ask about this chapter. Were you right? Uh, I have focused on earned rather than paid sources in all your examples here. I have focused on earned rather than paid sources because organic growth is how weeds grow and conquer new ground. A seed strategy based on guerrilla tactics becomes self-sustaining and relentless. Mm -hmm. So just remind folks about that because I think there's a natural reflex so many companies have to want to run advertising. And I think at one part in the book you said – you know, running ads is like putting your weed seeds on a crop duster to distribute them. It just completely misses the point. Well, here's the thing: um, if you have a budget to work with, oh my gosh, you're so blessed. You're you're so far beyond what most of us, right? Mm-hmm. So most of us have to do things do things um, in guerrilla style. We we just have to be able to um, to make things happen, even though we don't have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of budget to spend on it. So yeah, I, the seeds definitely they, they would never stick their seeds in the in in the crop duster to spread them. <laughs> they they wouldn't want to rely on that. They um, you know you see that and you see it when you look at dandelion seeds again, or let's say Canada fleabane. You know, so dandelion seeds they fly around and they. they they might cover a quarter of a mile or something like that, but but Canada fleabane has seeds that fly up to 300 miles in any direction the wind blows. You can see the seeding area of that plant from space, from a single plant. So <laughs> just so amazing. They've got, no, they've got so that's that's organic spread, and that's what yeah. we, want. we want. We want spread that just happens. Let's say spontaneously. Maybe that's a better. Well, I don't know. Organic is a good way to describe it, but spontaneously, we want people. Talking about it, like like Paul Nielsen's um, uh, fitness trainer card. We want people whipping it out at the cooler in their office, saying, "Look at this card I got from this guy." Yeah, so, yeah. Well, look, spreads everything. Let's move on. You mentioned seed pod. Well, explain what a seed pod is and a seed pod strategy. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, you think again. I'm going to. I guess we'll we'll talk a lot about dandelions here because they're so familiar. But dandelions don't just. I don't. Their seeds don't just appear at the ground. At the ground level, because if they did, how would they take off? Um, so, so built, just just this incredible um, uh, wisdom built into into how they're how they're designed is that the, up on that stalk, on that tall stalk, the flower eventually peels away, and then there's this big this this geodesic um, dome of uh, or sphere of 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 those seeds, the most efficient way to present them to the wind mm-hmm. and they're up high they're you know a foot or 18 inches high and and so they're in a position to to spread more more easily they, they're multipliers of those seeds in mm-hmm. essence and so a seed pod strategy for our businesses is we're looking for for sources that are that spread our 
spread those seeds, spread those impressions, those things that we just talked about that cause people to become aware of us and form the intent to do something with us, to transact with us in some way. So, uh, so you mentioned like this podcast or the podcast you're going to be on is a seed pod. It is because you are helping me expose, you're exposing this message, this, everything about the, the book to your audience. And it's, it's a, um, it's an audience that I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have reached otherwise. So you're a multiplier of those seeds. And right. That you do that with, with, uh, with social media and you do it with traditional media and you do it with, I mean, anything that becomes viral. Wow. I mean, TikTok is kind of. Right. And then the listeners, they, they like, spread it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. it's, <laughs> I just saw everything in a different, different light here. I want to go on to the part about the rosette strategy because uh, this is a yeah. I, obviously the the, the fun, one of the many fun things about this podcast is that I get to read the book and I get to talk to the author and it gets even better because I get to pick out the things that I thought were really cool. <laughs> so this is the thing that I just thought was so interesting. It's about the rosette strategy, and I want to add, read this and ask you to talk about this concept of unfair advantages, which you've touched on, but I want to go into a little bit more. You write, legendary investor Warren Buffett once summed up the nature of competitive advantage. He said, the trick is to find a way to stand on a box while everyone else is straining on their toes to get a better view and not have anyone notice what you're doing. The advantage becomes unfair when there are no other boxes around. Unfair advantages are differentiators, but also moats. By their nature, they cannot be easily duplicated. Those are the unfair competitive advantages we seek to grow like a weed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Rosette's strategy is all about identifying and cultivating, well, identifying the ones you already have. We, we do have them. And then, and then also cultivating new ones. Right. And you write that weeds never do anything without first having an unfair advantage. That's right. Isn't that cool? I mean, I just think weeds are – Again, you're going to fin- we're going to finish this podcast, <laughs> and, and you'll finish listening to this, and you'll be realizing what I'm saying. That weeds are why I'm saying that weeds are really awesome. They're just they're just amazing. You just watch what they do, and 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 actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that really weeds come in all shapes and sizes, and they're all they're on six continents. I don't think there there are any on. I don't think there's anything growing on any plants growing on Antarctica, but not naturally, no. They've spread all the way around the world, as opposed to, let's say, um, you know, sequoias, for for instance. But but they've spread all around the world, and they're they're just they come in all shapes and sizes. But they all follow the same formula for for growth and success, and that is every one of them leverages this fierce mindset. We talked about that a little bit, but they leverage a fierce mindset and unfair advantages against collective scale, and they do it against, or rather, they do it according to a process that they worked out in their case, over millions of years. But it's a living process that can change on a dime like we, like we talked about with, with water hemp. Um, mm-hmm. you know, when, when it created, I mean, it wasn't, it had never been exposed to the, to the disruption of, 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 of Roundup and these other herbicides. And there it was encountering it. And four years later, it's free of it. It, it doesn't have any effect. That's a, that's a living, fierce process. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess if they didn't have the unfair advantage, they wouldn't have survived anyway. Yeah, well, the part, I mean, part of their what look at their unfair advantage. It's 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 being a, a, an annual that dumps four point eight million seeds per plant. That's a huge. I mean, what other plant? Look around. You won't see other. That's the most seeds I know of of, of any plant um, 
producing, sorry, any, <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say. That's the most seeds that I've, uh, that I know of that any plant produces. <laughs> well, uh, and you're, you're a guy that studied that. So you, well, a bit. I mean, I'm not a botanist, but I, I certainly got to talk to a lot of weed ex. They're actually weed scientists, mm -hmm. but I've, a lot of experts and, um, and you know, just look at the look at the other plants in your yard. And again, I think kind of the bottom line is look around wherever you are and watch what the weeds are doing versus what the other plants are doing. Well, from a business standpoint, are unfair advantages found, made, or acquired? It's all three. It's all three. So you can acquire them. But a lot of people think, oh, I'm not born with that, or it's not already there, so I can't do it. Yeah, but but. But I think you actually. I think people do have secret, uh, or not secret, but unfair advantages, and you've just got to that they don't realize. Yes, yeah, you don't realize. You've just got to find them. Put another way, um, um, Garib Seamus, who who founded Comic Con, and then another another fellow. Um, um, oh God, suddenly I'm losing his name, but he's the founder of Archangel. They but they both talk about us having superpowers, and and, and that's a, that's a concept that seems to be spreading a lot. I'm hearing people start starting to mention superpowers, but we all have superpowers. What are they? I mean, mine. One of mine is I loved to draw, and I got to I got to study with or I was mentored by a lot of the big, um, the, the, some of the best cartoonists from Playboy and the New Yorker early in my career, and so I became a huge unfair advantage. I became. I mean, that helped me become a cartoonist, a published cartoonist myself. When my cartoon, I haven't done a lot for the journal lately, but when my cartoons appear in the journal, they, they, they're seen by 2.1 million readers. That's a huge unfair advantage. Well, it's also one that you took advantage of. You totally. didn't, yeah, totally. you leveraged it. In many, many ways I have, yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. even just signing my name. It's just, if I put my, because the, the thing I sent to you was a card, and you, I don't know if you noticed this or not, but it was one of my cartoons. So, you know, I signed my cartoons. And then inside the card, I'm saying, Doug, or Douglas, I mean, uh, thanks so much for, or I don't know what it was, probably when I sent the, the, uh, the hot sauce. Yes, you sent me the hot, it came with the hot sauce you sent. Yeah. So, but I mean, so you might have noticed that, geez, the signature inside the card written in, in pen matches the one that's in the cartoon. That's a right. Even that little little effect is a, an unfair advantage. Yeah. There are a lot of them. They're all over the place. All right. Well, let me just ask about one other strategy before we, um, we wrap up. It's about vine strategy. Yeah. I thought this was just fascinating. And yeah. I knew about some of this, but I hadn't seen it in this context. So we should talk about vine strategy. Explain what you mean when you write the vines are the perfect adaptation for explosive growth, making it critically important to business, and it just doesn't seem like one that a lot of people think about. Yeah, well, I mean, think about what what vines are. They're kind of like they're tubes with roots, you know, tubes with roots and leaves. Um, but they, it's what they do with with that structure that is so amazing because they climb anything that's whatever's nearby, trees, fences, houses, anything. Any but they building. can't succeed without the other. Right. So, but they, but what they'll do though, I mean, you see what you see the competition among plants in the Douglas fir forest where I am. The Douglas firs are by far the dominant plant here, and they're the ones. They're so the, the you know the the um, the sunlight is absorbed way way up. It's you know like a hundred feet up, and if you're down below, you don't you're not going to get quite so much sunlight. But but vines solve that by solving by by borrowing the infrastructure of others to reach dominant positions for sunlight and, and, and water. 
Which, by the way, we t- you talked about, you began talking about sales and rainmaking and so on. Mm-hmm. We, they're, they are, I've probably made a mistake in saying they aren't strategic because they are. They're absolutely necessary. Um, but what I think what sales really is, is fuel. It's sunlight and, and, and water and nutrients. I mean, it's what drives the, the plant that the plant can't do anything without that either. Mm-hmm. So, um, so, but what, what vines are doing is they're, again, they're borrowing the infrastructure of others to gain dominant positions for sunlight and, and not, not for water. Water's down below. They, they, they have roots, but, but they're gaining dominant position to gather sunlight that they wouldn't have had otherwise. And that a lot of other plants are getting. So how does that, how does that apply to our businesses? Well, we should be, we should be teaming up a lot at any opportunity. We, I mean, any opportunity that makes sense. But we should be teaming up a lot because we will gain untold new dominant positions for that sunlight that we need. Yes, I was reminded of that when I was reading it. And it brought to mind uh, John Jance's most recent book, uh, The Ultimate Marketing Engine, where he talks about a similar thing. Like, why, why is everyone forgetting to form partnerships? Yeah, uh, it just it it has the same effect as uh, what what works for a. A vine. Uh, let me just ask. I know that was. I said that was the last question. Let me just ask one other question because you talked about um, T Boone Pickens, and that's about leverage. Explain what you mean when you write leverage is everywhere. Oddly, in business, the word is mostly used to describe debt. True. <laughs> well, true. really, it's true. It's true. But you're talking about a different kind of thing. Well, I, yeah, yeah. But but, but uh, even T Boone Pickens, he used leverage. But not necessarily as it well, possibly as it relates to debt. But there, there were other things he was using to get leverage, like even with the paper route. Yeah, yeah, that's right. He was well. Every time he acquired, a, well, when he acquired companies, that's huge leverage. He just multiplied the the size of his company, um, and he did use financial leverage. I mean, it, his he wasn't doing this alone. He had a lot of investors behind him. Mm-hmm. So when he would make a run at a company, it wasn't just his money that he was using to buy up the stock. You can't. We here's the thing. I but but wait. Little, let's talk about not necessarily the the financial way. How can companies use more non financial leverage? Well, that, that's what I was going to say. It's actually. Um, I, I hope this answers the question. But we're 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 um, we're raised to be self sufficient. Um, you know, we're we're told to go go to when you go to school get good grades then go to get into a good school good college and then get a great job but you can't you can't have a thousand jobs you can't multiply that right and that that's even more applicable i would argue to entrepreneurs solopreneurs being self sufficient yeah, yeah. And, and and i was going to say there's sort of this paradox of self sufficiency that that the more self sufficient we are and you know entrepreneurs they're really really self sufficient people i mean it, they're really uh, very, very capable people. If they don't know how to do something, they'll teach themselves. But you, there's still so much of you to go around. And, and if you are it, – so, uh, so ironically, self-sufficiently – I'm sorry, self-sufficiency also holds us back. It prevents us from scaling because we think, well, I could do that. Or I'll, I'll just copy what that person did. And you, know, and you take all this on and you just sort of hoard it all for yourself – and what you end up ha- having is 100% of nothing or very little. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, so this form of leverage is how do you, and we were just talking about Vine strategy, how do you create, how do you, how do you go from, from one-to-one leverage, which is just you working by yourself, learn, teaching anything you want, you need done to, to yourself, all those things, going from that to teaming up with people. And te- people who have other, you know, who have other um, 
Mm. You know, they've got they've got bases of of clients that you don't have. They have uh, they have other advantages that you don't have. They have um, all these things that you can that they can bring to you, and that you can, and you have unfair advantages that you can bring to them. Yeah. When you when you do that, you, you both become stronger, and and I think that's one of the big messages of weeds is just you need to jump from you need to make if you are working at one you need to root out all form of one to one leverage first of all from whatever it is you're doing. And then you need to make the leap to, to multi-channel leverage quickly, meaning you team up with people, you, you execute a vine strategy and you, and I got to say, you know, just having written the book um, and studying weeds. And then of course, hearing what, what, I mean, I interviewed a lot of people for the book as well. A lot of business uh, uh, leaders and, and some uh, retired U S army generals, a couple of, yeah, a couple of generals yeah. and some CIA people, um, and and so, but the the just the experience of writing this book has changed the way I run my business, and I'm much much more collaborative. Mm. So, uh, so I, and and it's funny because it causes it to grow. <laughs> it's, 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 <laughs> right? Like you yeah. Hate yourself, you grow. Yeah. It's, it's uh. amazing. Well, Stu, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be? Well, I think it's I think it's that you know. If you're operating, it's just what I was saying. If you're operating at one-to-one leverage, you need to you need to change that quickly because you will never scale anything. Mm-hmm. You need to be you need to create alliances and affiliations and partnerships with with other people who have sales channels and other things that they can expose you to. I mean, really, we're talking about even referrals. <laughs> so that basic yeah. referrals, and we're not just talking about entrepreneurs. We're talking about publicly traded companies. Everywhere, everything, everything can grow. Yeah. This is sort of the theory of everything about growing anything. Mm-hmm. So, so I think it would be that. I think it would be find ways to create affiliations immediately. Start, start spreading it around, and instead of, instead of feeling that you're taking a, a diluted share of what you, what you had, what you're actually doing is multiplying what you have. Yes, and, and that's. I mean, that's the, that's the point of scaling. Yeah, yeah. Well. Let's give the listener something to do today. What What's one thing a listener could do today to put in action one of the many ideas from your book? You know, I, I, you know, oh gosh, I don't want to repeat that because I think that's really a, you, well, I am going to repeat, go out and find some affiliations and create some affiliations immediately. Start working with your, with people that you even think of as competitors, turn them into, into alliances. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you mentioned like, a well, Attorneys, uh, uh, accountants. There's all kinds of yeah. people out there that you could be working with. Well, yeah, but if you're a financial advisor, you should be you should be creating relationships with with attorneys and CPAs and so forth because those can be incredible sources of of well sunshine and and water mm-hmm. you know, and nutrients to your mm-hmm. to you as a weed. But really, uh, business, new business, new sales, new clients to your to your business. Uh, Start doing that immediately, and your business will change. But I think the other thing I would suggest is start working on letting your your you know your actions lead your emotions. So I think one of the best ways to do it, and it's just a simple thing to do, is start working out. If you aren't doing it, start working out every morning. Mm-hmm. And that could that could include walking. You could yeah, and get outside even get outside yes. too because we haven't been outside a lot because of COVID. But get yeah. But but start letting those actions drive your emotions rather than the other way around, and you'll see a big change from that as well. 
Ah, oh, so true, so true, and such great advice. Well, uh, Stu, are there any recent or upcoming books that you recommend or uh, looking forward to reading? You know, I just finished reading Thrive by Meredith Elliott Powell, and I love that because she wrote uh, she wrote this wonderful book. It even has a bush on the front. So we're we're thinking plants, and and uh, but she wrote this wonderful book about how to take a. a uh, a proactive and balanced stance against disruption. And that's a big part of weed strategy as well. And I just loved her book because it went into a lot more detail than I did. I, I put a chapter together in the book, but she went, she put a whole book together and it's amazing. There's a lot of steps, you, things you can do to, 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 uh, to meet disruption. And the other one I just received a copy of is it's Marva Baylor's first book. It's called Be Unexpected. And the rest of it is resetting routines to revolutionize the future of work. And work is evolving right now. Work from home. Where is that? Is it, are we going to hybrid? or What are we doing there? And work is always changing. Everything's always changing. So I think that's really, I, I can't wait to read her book. So that, that one is Be Unexpected by Marva Baylor. Be Unexpected, Resetting Routines to Revolutionize the Future of Work. Oh, interesting. And Thrive. Strategies to Turn Uncertainty to Competitive Advantage. Was Meredith at the Outbound Conference when you went to it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I met her there uh, at an earlier meeting of the of the Outbound Conference. And, I, mean, you, uh, I don't know if you've had them had her. Or... I haven't interviewed her. She's contacted me. It's one of those things where I said, yeah, it's great. Can you send me a copy of the book? She's in one of my masterminds. Well, I start. Oh, well, yeah. I know her. We, we talked about Asheville. She lives in Asheville and my mother's family was from Asheville. And yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, so we're, I mean, I'm one of my weed strategies is I started a, a group called Authors Leverage and we meet every Friday. That's what I was doing this morning. We meet every Friday and we're coming up with all these unusual ways to move more books and create more oh wow more leverage well i hope you're telling them about the marketing book podcast oh they know, they know all about you but, <laughs> okay but i but Mar, I, i'm sorry i mean um meredith is one of the members oh great okay yeah. she's great she's amazing yeah yeah absolutely absolutely i'd love to interview her about this book well, at marketingbookpodcast.com, we're going to include links to everything linkable, including the books that uh, you just mentioned, as well as the, the book by uh, Dan Waldschmidt, uh, your site at stuheinick.com. I'm going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile and your uh, Twitter account, everything linkable. We're going we're gonna to put it there, make it easy for everybody. And now a word to you, dear listener. I want to ask you a big, big favor, just one. Please reach out in some way to Stu and congratulate him on the book and thank him for being a guest on the Marketing Book Podcast. Send a message on LinkedIn or Twitter or even just go to his website. Also, if nothing else, congratulate him on becoming a, a member of the Marketing Book Podcast uh, Three Timers Club. Or you know, just thank him for his unbelievable patience putting up with this knuckleheaded podcast host. Guests on the show... Now, I'm, I'm not kidding here. They have told me how much they just love hearing from Marketing Book Podcast listeners. And not just because Marketing Book Podcast listeners are so really, really, really ridiculously good looking. And if you're listening on your smartphone and you have subscribed to the Marketing Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app like Spotify or Apple Podcasts, all these links can be found by going to this episode right now and clicking on this episode's website link. Closing quote. 
The business press and nearly everyone on social media are fond of dropping short lists of authoritative imperatives as the keys to growth and success. They tell us, do these three things and double the size of your business. And then they drop three random bits. Be persistent. Build your team. Talk to your customers. (laughs) But the weeds have now given us a framework that is cohesive and complete and utterly powerful. And we can immediately see where all the bits actually fit. Growth gurus and experts may tell us they have the key to making it all work, but I trust the weeds. They've been doing it for a long time and have it perfected. Growth is not just about selling more. It's not just about being more persistent. It's about leveraging a fierce mindset and force multipliers against collective scale and getting everyone on board. Using the weed strategy framework or any framework might seem stifling, but it actually fosters creativity. We see that in the incredible expression of weeds in the world. They're all following the same basic plan, but they've taken such different paths, and every one of them is awesome. Perhaps when you next see a weed, you'll take time to reflect, to watch what it's doing, to ponder how it got there. In fact, I'm counting on it. It's part of my seed strategy from this point on. I'm counting on every weed that pops up anywhere in the world to serve as my meme to remind people to buy this book. Those weeds in your yard, they're working for me now. Let's get them working for you too. The book is How to Grow Your Business Like a Weed, a complete strategy for unstoppable growth. The author is Stu Heineck. Stu, thank you very much for joining us again on the Marketing Book Podcast. What a pleasure. Thank you so, so much, Douglas. And that closes the book on another episode of the Marketing Book Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it and found it helpful. Special thanks to this episode's sponsor, Marketing Architects, creators of the all-inclusive TV advertising concept that's so revolutionary, they wrote a book about it. For a free copy of the book, All-Inclusive TV, How Booming Brands Are Reimagining TV Advertising, visit this episode's website page at marketingbookpodcast.com or visit marketingarchitects.com slash book and tell them you heard about it on the Marketing Book Podcast. And if you're one of the legions of listeners who have left an iTunes review, please let me return your kind favor by mailing you some Marketing Book Podcast stuff. Just send me your mailing address anywhere in the world, and I'll drop it in the mail. And remember the words of the late, great Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. Music